and welcome to the Common Good podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and explores how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Julie Adair and today I'm joined by Anna Talbot from South Africa. Anna is Programme Coordinator at the Rhodes University Community Engagement Team in Grahamstown, Makanda, South Africa. Anna, thank you so much for coming along. Now, you should have been in Scotland in person, but there were issues with visa and plane ticket costs and all the rest of it. So you've missed out on a delicious GCU lunch and you've missed out on coming on campus. And I think it's about as warm today in Scotland as it is possibly in South Africa. I'm looking at you here in your hat and your cardigan and your scarf. It's not that far off what it's like here. So first off, can you tell me a little bit about the Rhodes University Community Engagement Team and a little bit about why you have such a particular remit within South African higher education? Yes, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's really exciting to continue this partnership. So in terms of higher education in South Africa, obviously South Africa has a very tainted history with apartheid. And given that history, um, universities are mandated to do community engagement. So it's in legislation. It's part of what it's a core function of universities alongside teaching and learning and research. Um, And so universities, often as core institutions in um, their communities, have a responsibility, uh, a developmental and a transformative responsibility in terms of that social redress, in terms of addressing apartheid's history. And the particular focus of that redress is around the people who generally were most harmed by that past. So although a community engagement is focused on everybody, whatever creed, class, background you come from. With that social justice element, it's really about focusing on disrupting that ivory tower image of universities, which historically were only accessed by a certain class and race of people in South Africa. Um, and so really community engagement is about rebuilding um, relationships and contributing to social and economic development. And that's where this mandate for universities has come in. So I work in a division that kind of guides this vision for our university um, and works with academics and community partners and schools and um, just the broader group of stakeholders at our university to implement this mandate of South African universities, really. So tell us a little bit about the team, because I've visited your um, offices and indeed the university on a number of occasions and it's a it's a lovely sort of low-rise town I would say in Makanda it's not like Glasgow with lots of tower point tower blocks and tall high buildings it's a very kind of authentic almost I suppose frontier town you could describe it as maybe tell me a little bit about the team and and uh, what you do within the university so we are quite a young team Uh, We've grown substantially over COVID, which is really exciting, but basically our responsibility is to infuse and to support community engagement happening, so different forms of community engagement, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point um, together, and so we do run programs from our division in terms of engaged citizenship and volunteer opportunities for students, but our goal is really to infuse community engagement in the university 
Um, so a lot of our responsibilities and our work is around creating partnerships and relationships and walking the journey whether it's a research and engaged research journey or setting up a service learning course or setting up a community engaged learning opportunity. And then we obviously have our social innovation hub, which is becoming a, a sort of fourth area of community engagement, an emergent area community engagement. Tell me a little bit about that, because as you know, I've got a vested interest in your social <laughs> innovation hub. For full disclosure, folks, um, Anna and I began to work over a number of years with the director of the community engagement team, Di Hornby, on a particular GCU-led project called Common Good First. And Common Good First, funded by the European Union, helped set up what you now call the social innovation hub. So it would be lovely for me to, to hear a bit more about how that's doing and put myself back in that fantastic space. So tell us a little bit about what that is and what it's been used for. The social innovation hub is sort of the vehicle that keeps us moving at the moment in terms of all the nexus between research, teaching and learning. So traditionally universities were set up to do uh, research, teaching and learning and community engagement has then come along to try and make that more relevant, more developmental. Um, and so that those two things aren't happening in isolation of each other that we, like I spoke about in terms of infusing the model. So service learning is the credit bearing aspect of community engagement, which speaks to um, the service being aligned to whatever the course outcomes are. Community engaged learning is what most people understand as volunteerism and we here call it engaged citizenship and then obviously the engaged research element is participatory community-based research working with partners throughout the whole stretch of the research process and really what our social innovation hub has done for us which is what we're really pushing hard at the moment is because it's the driver of that economic and development and social development imperative of universities. And so our social innovation hub and in general, the Common Good First program really gave us an opportunity to sort of consolidate our thoughts about social innovation and entrepreneurship, which are quite pivotal to development, community development in particular. Um, and so that platform was a great way to innovate and to conceptualize something that was really fresh and meaningful um, because it was with so many different disciplines brought in and different international voices and national voices, partnerships and the connections that enabled us to develop models that are really relevant to South Africans has been, been really important for us. And so our social innovation hub, its primary focus is around digital storytelling and capturing that innovation so that people can learn about the innovation and adapt it to their own communities. But a bigger challenge than that in South Africa is our digital divide. And so a lot of what we've been doing in that space is around coaching and teaching computer literacy so that we can then move towards that trajectory of being able to share your innovations and even just start innovations uh, in many respects. So yeah, we use different models to do that. We have our pop-up labs, which is where we go to communities and hopefully co-facilitate um, experiences. And then we also have our standard lab, which is at campus, is on our campus. Um, and 
our campus is a very nice situation because we don't actually have any fences and access points that are monitored so community members can come in and out of our campus as if it was part of the city so we have lots of community members accessing what we call our social innovation hub in the main lab on campus and then we've also really moved towards setting up what we call semi-fixed labs which are more long-term partnerships with community organizations that are in our townships so our informal settlements and so we work with them to set up uh, and use our equipment there and now we've even been able to bring in interns to run programs at various different levels um, with different groups primarily focused on that computer literacy um, so it's been a huge enabling factor uh, especially during COVID mm. I think when everything suddenly pivoted to online I want to come back to COVID because I know that there's a lot of work done by your team in that. But I just wondered, I know that there are sort of some fairly key pillars to, to what the team does. And I just wondered if you could talk us through those because there's education, there's service learning, and maybe give us some examples of the kind of things that fall into each of these buckets of activity, if you like. So service learning, as I said, is the credit bearing form of community engagement. Um, so that is where it's linked to a course or a module. And whatever the community engaged activity is needs to align with what the course outcomes are. And so it's very reflection based, encouraging reflexivity among students, but also a chance for students to see theory in action. So one really great example of it is we have a program called Anteto Zubom, which is we speak together about our stories and it kind of discusses philosophical issues of life and living and with that then the class and the students go and link up with schools public schools in our area and discuss those in dialogues and then they need to reflect on the different circumstantial differences and similarities so that's been one. There's obviously been a lot of things that have happened and emerged through COVID uh, in terms of service learning. Our recent Distinguished Community Engagement Award winner was pivotal in terms of creating hand sanitizer. Um, they were a pharmacy department. And I think in the end, they had produced something like 9,000 liters of sanitizer mm. that have been distributed in various ways. And have even set up a local farming community making their own sanitizer that they are now using entrepreneurially in their own circumstances. So service learning can take many different forms. In terms of engaged research, I think, so this is really deepening connections to research, moving away from those extractive ways of doing research where the researcher just goes into a community, gathers all the data, leaves, never reports back, very low impact or even unimpactful at all and moving towards including primarily marginalized communities into that research process so bringing in community members to decide on the research questions decide on the research process help either gather data and then maybe even analyze depending on how participatory and deep your process goes so that's engaged research. And so a very ethical way of doing research, ultimately. 
albeit with lots of challenges in a mm -hmm. university um, system in terms of ethics and those sort of bureaucratic structures. But I think that we are sort of working with those structures to kind of lead the way and how this can actually be done, particularly in South Africa. I know that had you been here, Anna, you were going to have some meetings with our colleagues at the Caledonian Club to find out about what they're doing in terms of schools outreach. And they were very keen to learn about what you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So what we do in the engaged citizenship space, the volunteerism space, is probably our most developed aspect of community engagement. So my particular interest is in literacy and social justice in literacy, literacy leadership. South Africa has a huge literacy crisis. Many of our children can't read for meaning. About 80% of our children actually can't read for meaning by the time they get to grade four. So that has major knock-on effects for everything in one's life in terms of voting and political rights, in terms of social mobility and economic development. And that really starts right down at the bottom levels in preschool. So one of the, the key programs that I was hoping to connect up with the Caledonian Club about was um, we have a parent engagement program. It's called Insomi, which is a also a word for stories and telling stories it's a traditional practice that happens or, or local practice rather than traditional and the whole idea of that program is to support parents to be able to uh, implement home literacy practices in their homes because one of the struggles with literacy in South Africa is because of the legacy of apartheid um, many parents with children nowadays really um, because of the intergenerational effects of Bantu education fear helping their children with academic activities or aren't able to read adequately and so they just don't fulfill that parental involvement role and so it's really important to be able to support them on that. You, you said Bantu education what is that? Bantu education is the term used for the education system under apartheid where Bantu people, so Black people, were um, discriminated against in terms of what schools they could access and what education, the quality of education they were getting. Um, and obviously that's had many knock-on effects yeah. in terms yeah. of education in our country generally. So this program means you go out into the community or the community comes on campus? How, how does it work uh, logistically? This is one of the most interesting aspects of this particular program because Generally speaking, we make the broader community our uh, community or academic focus, whereas this program in SOMI, the parent engagement program, works with staff parents who are in the lower grades of work. So generally people like cleaning staff or gardening staff, maintenance, cooks, cleans, those sort of levels of jobs. And obviously because all staff can access a rebate if their children come to university, it's in our best interest then to support those staff to be able to access that. And that obviously starts right at that beginning age. And obviously then we have interventions, not only just for these staff, but other staff and obviously in the community that help local children access Rhodes University. We're very lucky at Rhodes University to have our vice chancellor who's committed to making sure that any academically deserving student can access Rhodes University 
and have fees taken care of. So that's a huge, a huge driving factor for all of these sort of programs that we have. So you're, you're literally keeping it in the family. You're, you've got family members of some of these sort of support services staff uh, who are then growing themselves educationally so that they can then come on to varsity when they're 17, 18, 19. Yes, absolutely. So that's that's the focus of this particular program. And, yeah. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about what you did in during COVID because I you know I follow you guys on Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it. And you absolutely swung into action in the early days of COVID. Uh, I, I mean, not just making sure that some of these programs you've mentioned carried on, albeit potentially in a, an online way, but you went out into the community as well. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that happened in the sort of early to mid part of 2020 when in, for, certainly for us, that was the beginning of our first lockdown? Yeah. Yeah, in March 2020, we had also completely locked down for, I think, three weeks initially, um, and then it sort of got extended in various ways going forward. But I think that COVID sort of gave that added shock to higher education institutions in South Africa that sort of incentivized and encouraged us to reimagine the role of the university because suddenly everything was closed. I mean, particularly for us, we are a residential university. So suddenly half the city had left the city to go home and isolate and be in their quarantine bubbles. So it added that shock in terms of us losing a lot of our population in the city, but it also really laid bare the inequality in our country. Obviously with everything shifting online, we have a massive digital divide. Many of our informal settlements don't have access to internet. I know in Makanda, um, we don't have any public access spots to Wi-Fi in our city um, at the moment. We live in a very dysfunctional municipality. So there were lots of different challenges that universities had to grapple with, especially if you are a local institution in a small city like ours. So for us, it was really a springboard and an opportunity to leap into action and to lead the way and lead the charge for the university in terms of innovation and how we can participate and make life better during that time. So part of that was communicating what was happening in our country. So communication is not so at the time we didn't really have channels for communication that were broadly accessed by the majority of people in South in South Africa, but also in our city because of the digital divide and that sort of thing. And so a lot of what we did was about science communication, just basic things about washing hands, that sort of thing. The other thing was around schools closing. In South Africa, we've had schools closing and then one day on, one day off with school children going back um, and slowly easing into it. So we partnered with local organizations um, such as Nali Bali, which is a national literacy organization and Book Dash and the National Numeracy Chair to compile learning resources that could be inserted into newspapers and sent out quite broadly. So that was one of the things. And then also just distributing the hand sanitizer as it was made on campus. So there were a lot of those outreach activities that happened. And I purposely call it outreach because it was fulfilling a direct and desperate need at the time 
with not necessarily much mutually beneficial outcomes. Mm -hmm. It was really just supporting a community in an emergency time. And then the other aspect that really got to us was around our volunteerism and what all of our volunteers were going to do during this time. And what was really exciting about this is it really gave us a chance to reconceptualize uh, and professionalize volunteerism in many ways. So during this time, we developed short courses that all of our volunteers now do. So that's continued into our training now. And that was really a great opportunity because previously we would have training sessions with over 800 students in a weekend in one venue, um, very costly affair, but also very difficult to gauge how students are engaging with the materials and the concepts that we teach. And so this online mechanism means that they can go much deeper in their learning. We're forming much closer relationships with them and their learning journey through the Engaged Citizens programs that we have. And so it's really strategically helped us in terms of positioning engaged citizenship at Rhodes and possibly even nationally in terms of creating very formal structured programs that volunteers can just fit in. So yeah, I think in summary, it was just, it really highlighted firstly the inequality, but also how connected we are and interrelated we are that you know when all the students left we lost a huge part of who buys what from our city and who contributes to the economy of our city and how synergistic the university is with the community and that we can't work in silos we, we have to collaborate and we have to depend and work with each other so yeah it was a huge learning curve COVID, a very exciting one too I also I, I know that um what you do is is recognized nationally in South Africa as well probably internationally I'm sure there are lots of quite exciting things coming up for the center though aren't there can you give us an idea of of what's happening next we get a sneak preview of what you and Di and the team are going to be getting involved in in the coming months previously very exciting was being elected as the Telwa Network's first prize winner which was for the MacJanet Award which was really great because that highlighted for us how we have created local models that can then be used on a global global scale that can be replicable. And what's lovely about that is that we have developed a local model that is relevant to us, that is not adopting Western European ideas, that it really is almost globally competitive. So that's, that's really been something excited and sort of pivoted us into the international sphere and, in our engagement and the Talmar network, if I'm right, is a global network hosted and organized by Tufts University in the States. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Community engagement in South Africa is still quite contested in terms of definitions and frameworks amongst universities. And so it's a growing and emerging discipline in many respects in South Africa, um, despite it being one of the important key functions of a university. So we've got two huge projects that are coming up in terms of positioning community engagement really front and center of university imperatives. Um, And our first one is that we've designed postgraduate diploma in higher education community engagement, which is really exciting. So that's going to be launched in 2024. Our first cohort will do that. And that's a professional development qualification uh, with the aim of reaching 
everybody from corporate sector in terms of social responsibility uh, managers to NGO and development, the development space in general. So that's going to be exciting. It's going to be a two-year course um, with theoretical and practical modules that will engage people on those different forms of community engagement and issues at large in terms of community engagement by education. The other exciting thing that we're going to do is launch the African Journal of Community Engagement. So currently in South Africa, a lot of community engagement practitioners publish their work in their discipline journals because there's not one coherent discipline for community engagement yet. And so the idea of this journal is that we start to create community engagement as a discipline and we're able to publish in one place and really deepen our scholarship of engagement and hopefully ultimately enhancing the sector. And so we are really hoping that predominantly also getting the African voice out into the world in terms of growing the knowledge democracy and complementing the knowledge economy in terms of creating a space for Africans to publish their work and what they're doing in this space. So that's really exciting as well. Well, look forward to reading that. Anna, thank you so much for speaking to me today. It's been great to see you across the miles on Zoom, and I do hope that it won't be too long before we see you in person at GCU, maybe even before the end of this year, visas and airfares permitting. I would also like to thank everyone for listening to today's show, and I hope you can join us again soon when we'll be in conversation with another member of the GCU community at home or abroad. To make sure you get every episode sent straight to your listening device, please subscribe to this podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else. Until next time, I've been Julie Adair, and this has been the Common Good Podcast. Mm-hmm.